In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. The scripture reading for today is all about prayer. Um, the disciples, after seeing Christ praying, asked him to teach them also how is it that they should pray. Because they saw that, that the Lord Christ was doing this himself, and they wanted to emulate him. They wanted to do like him. And so they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And it, in this chapter, we, we read the prayer that, um, that we now pray as the Lord's prayer, the prayer that the Lord taught his disciples to pray, that now we pray so many times in our personal prayers. We pray it in the church. We pray it um, at all times, this prayer. Um, but sometimes because we pray it so often, um, we, we, we don't really think so much about what it means or what are all the elements in it. So I wanted to go um, through kind of the elements of prayer um, that are found in the Lord's Prayer so that um, God willing, as we pray this prayer, we can be mindful of what is it that we are asking God for and why is it that Christ asked us to pray in this way. The first thing we should remember whenever we are going to pray is that we should have a, pray, a place where we pray. In Matthew 6, Christ had said, but you, when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut the door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. In order for us to pray effectively, of course, we can pray at all times, but there should also be a time where we shut our door and we pray to our Father who is in the secret place, a private, intimate kind of prayer where we can pour out our hearts to God and we can stand before him. We don't have to follow any certain pace. We don't have to follow any specific written prayers, but we can simply stand before God and speak to him about what is in our hearts, whether it be the joys in our hearts or the sorrows that are in our hearts. So apart from the communal prayer that we have in church, this private prayer that we have with God is very important. And in order for us to really benefit from our prayers, we need to have such a place where we can kind of separate ourselves from anyone else who happens to be in our home and just stand before God in prayer. Also, prayer is, is, is really, we learn it by doing it. Um, it it's, it's not something that we can just study from a distance and learn how to do it by, by studying it. The only way to learn is to do. Um, St. Macarius the Great, he said, one must force himself to prayer when he has not spiritual prayer. And thus God beholding him, thus striving and compelling himself by force, in spite of an unwilling heart, give him the true prayer of the spirit. All of us want to have this true prayer of the spirit. All of us would like it that at any point in time, on any day, we can simply lift our hearts to God and we feel like immediately in communion with God and peace and serenity and the presence of God with us. But even at the times where we are unable to do this and we do not feel this, what St. Macarius is saying is that we must force ourselves to push ourselves to pray, even when we don't have this natural free flowing prayer that kind of comes from the spirit. Instead, we compel ourselves. And it says, God beholding him, thus striving and compelling himself by force, because he knows that prayer is important. It's something we should be doing. Give him the true prayer of the spirit. So we shouldn't be waiting for some specific moment where we feel like euphoria or the spiritual feeling that we might have. Um, instead, we should make prayer to be a discipline, something that we do because it is right and good and because we want to connect with our creator. If God chooses to give us this true prayer of the spirit, this prayer of the heart, this joyful sense as we pray, this is for God to decide when to allow us to be able to enjoy this. But whether we enjoy this, uh, you know, and have this strong desire and passion for prayer, 
or whether we pray with a sense of duty and obligation, it is still something we are called to do. And it is still the grounding force of any Christian in order for us to be able to live in this world that is full of so much wickedness and darkness and difficulties in order for us to be able to be successful and to follow God's commandments in this world, we have to be connected to God and anchored in him in prayer. And all of the elements that Christ spoke about in the Lord's prayer um, that he mentioned to his disciples here is what we are going to focus on that really, um, you know, it focuses on such a wide range of things that as we are praying, not just necessarily in reciting this prayer word for word, but all of these are elements of prayer that God wants us to be mindful for. So what are the words of the prayer? The first is we identify God as our father. It says our father in heaven, right? Who is it that we're talking to? You know, in a lot of other religions, they have some kinds of meditation, uh, yoga, uh, you know, other activities that people do in order to be calm, listening to calm music, um, lighting candles, doing different things, right? And these things might have a psychological effect on us as human beings that kind of help us to be calm, to, to, to kind of um, be settled and so on. But prayer is not this. Even though prayer might have certain elements of this, um, but this is not the essence of prayer. The essence of prayer is speaking to God, right? It's speaking to God. And so when we start this prayer, the very first thing we say is our father in heaven, right? This is the one whom we are speaking to. You know, in our society today, people use the word prayer really and twist it to mean something else. Like when we say our thoughts and our prayers are with you, like whenever, say, someone is struggling. The question is, are we really praying or is it just kind of a sentiment? Is it just something that we say to kind of express that I care about you and that I'm thinking of you and that I am wishing the best for you? Um, prayer is praying to a person who is God. It entails faith that I have faith in this God that it is that I am praying to. And I'm identifying that this father, this God is above us. He is above me. He is not like me. He is above me. He is divine. He is creator of all. He is in heaven, right? And so when we are talking to him, we are talking to one who is powerful, who has authority, who is able to respond and answer the prayer that I'm about to pray to him, right? I recognize who he is, right? This is not just um, kind of an activity where I go inside myself and I find peace in myself. It is not it's like a self-directed activity. I am going to find my creator. I'm speaking to my creator and he is my father. He is not just uh, uh, an impersonal creator. He is not just a creator who doesn't know me. He is a personal father, not simply a divine being. And so I'm speaking to him as such, as above all, as divine, and as my personal father. And I identify him from the very beginning of the prayer. The second part of this prayer is where we say, hallowed be your name, right? We are saying, what are the characteristics of this father right, that I'm speaking to. Who is this God? And what is my feelings toward this God? Here I'm showing reverence to God, right? He is not just any person, right? He is not just a spiritual guide. He is not just a voice of wisdom. He is not just a helper, right? He is not just someone um, that, like, is important. No, he is the essence of my life, right? He is the one whom I bow down to and worship him. He is the one who is greater than me and above me. He is not here just to bless me, right? He is not a tool that I use to benefit me. 
He is not there for me when I need his support and I use him as I see fit in order to benefit my life. That is not who he is. I am the one that bows to him. I am the one that prostrates before him. I am the one that surrenders to him. I am the one who denies my own will so that I can follow his own will, right? This is the reverence that we show to God. This is the way that we see him, right? He is the one to whom we submit everything that is us. We, we give him our, our complete selves, right? And this is what we are telling him. Hallowed be your name. You are the one to be revered. You are the one to whom I submit to. And this is important again in this prayer because when we are entering into prayer with God, we have to see him as the one who is in control. He is the one who knows. We are the ones who are ignorant. He is the one who is stable. We are the ones that are unstable. He is the one that is true. We are the ones that are so easily deceived. Right? We want to anchor ourselves to him. We want to change to be like him. We're not asking him to change to be like us or to you know, uh, do whatever it is that we're asking. We're saying we are asking him of something, yes, but we're asking if it is your will, let it be done according to your will. Okay. Um, then we say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay. Here we're asking God, right? to have control and dominion on earth, just as it is in heaven, right? I want God's kingdom to exist on earth, not just on the earth kind of like in an impersonal way, but specifically in my life as I live on the earth. I want God's kingdom to be in me, right? I want to be ruled by him, and I want his rule to prevail against all other rules, all other rulers. I want him to have more influence on me than the media. I want him to have more influence on me than my family, than my friends, than any other person, than any other thing in this life. I want God's kingdom to reign. I want to be governed according to his law. I, 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 I want his law to be supreme in my life, right? God is not just here to fight our enemies and impose what we, what, uh, what we think is right, right? But he will do what he knows to be right. I'm not telling him what to do. I'm listening to hear what is it that he wants me to do because he is the king, right? He is the one to whom I submit. His kingdom is the one that I want to reign. And the model for this is heaven, right? We say, I want your kingdom to be on earth the way that it is in heaven. Whatever it is is in heaven. Like when you look at heaven, heaven is like a model and an example of what a kingdom looks like that is ruled by God without any resistance, right? In the world, there is constant resistance to God's will. There is constant resistance to God's love. There is constant resistance to God's law because there is this war that is happening here on the earth, right? But if you want to see a model of what a, a true kingdom where God reigns supreme without any resistance, without, without anyone standing or being an obstacle to him and without us being an obstacle to him, you look at heaven. Heaven is God's kingdom. It is a perfect example of peace, serenity, love, order, every good thing is there in heaven. And so we are asking God, okay, to take the institute, this kingdom that of his, that is so clearly evident in heaven. And we say, I want it to be on earth as well. And to be on earth, right? It starts with me as an individual, right? If the kingdom of heaven reigned inside each of us as individuals, then surely the kingdom of heaven would, would be on earth. It would be on earth as it is in heaven. If I govern my own life according to God's law, if I submitted myself according to God's 
precepts, if I experienced the love of God, if I forgave my enemies the way that God forgives me, if I did everything according to God's plan and his system and what he called me to do, then it really would be on earth as it is in heaven, right? And so this is what I'm asking. Sometimes when we ask in prayer, we, we, we are like focusing our, our, our requests toward other things or other people, something outside, outside of me. But really in prayer here, we're asking God to change me. Change me so that I am heavenly. I want to live a heavenly life. I want to see beyond the earthly. I want to, to not be so caught up in the day-to-day -day details of this world to forget the bigger picture of why even am I here? What For what purpose has God created me? What is it that God is calling me to do? I want heaven to reign in me. And if heaven reigns in each of us, then surely the earth would be con converted and transformed as though it is heaven. It will be the kingdom of God, right? And until that day comes where we are truly living in God's kingdom in heaven, we ask God so that his kingdom would be instituted on the earth and that we are willing to participate with God to institute his kingdom on earth through our obedience, through our love of others, through our communion with God and so on. Okay, so we're asking God this. Now we ask God for this request and we say, give us day by day our daily bread, right? We're acknowledging our needs, that we are not self-sufficient, that we have needs, and that God is the one who is the supplier of those things that we need, right? He is the source of what we need, right? I am not going to um, the broken cisterns that cannot hold water, right? I'm not going to the things that are broken that cannot satisfy me. I'm not going to other people to satisfy me. I'm not going to addictions to satisfy me. I'm going to God who is the true one to give us our daily bread, the, the true nourishment, right? That here we are acknowledging that God both has the power to give us what we need, that he knows what we need, that he loves us enough to give it to us, right? He wants to provide for us. He wants to give us what is good in the right amount at the right time in the right way, okay? So he is the fulfiller of our needs. When we spoke before about how God fulfills our needs, that Adam and Eve, when they were created in the Garden of Eden, they were created with certain needs. They had physical needs that they needed to eat food, for instance. They had relational needs that they needed to be in relationship with one another and with God. They had emotional needs. They had spiritual needs. They had to, a desire for purpose. All these things were needs that God created mankind with from the very beginning so that he would be the supplier of those needs and that we would perceive God's love in what he gives us. Because in our limited um, mind and in our limited existence, how is it that we as human beings are going to perceive the love of God? How is it that I would know that God even loves me? It is because God gives me my needs. He gives me what I need. When I feel like I am... Um, alone, he gives me companionship. When I feel that I am afraid, he gives me courage. When I feel like I am, um, you know, anxious, he gives me peace. In every way, when I begin to suffer in some way, um, whether emotionally or physically or, 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 or because my needs are not met, even hunger, right? And I see that God is providing for me the needs that I have, I experience the love of God. And if we are uh, blind to the way that God is satisfying our needs. If we are not thankful for all the good things that God gives, then we will miss out on the realization of God's love, 
You know, sometimes we are not thankful for what we have. Sometimes we are so focused on what we don't have. And in everything that I do, all I care about is what I don't have. All I want is what I don't have. And I am so persistent in seeking, seeking, seeking the things that I want that I completely miss out on all the things God has given. And if I'm not focusing at all on the things that God has given, then I will not see his love for me. Then I will not see his presence for me in my life because I'm, I'm ignoring all his acts of love in order only to focus on the things that I have not yet to attain. So God gives us all that we need at the right time, okay? And even when God refrains from giving, even when he chooses not to give, this also is an act of love. In Proverbs 14, 12, I mentioned this verse a lot. It says, there is a way that seems right to a man and its end is the way of death. Our limited perspective, our limited view, thinking that we know what's best for ourselves, choosing our own path, that maybe this path is actually a path that leads to death. And God refrains from giving it to us, even when we ask of him, because of his love and care for us, that he doesn't want us to be destroyed. He doesn't want us to be harmed. We are the ones that are seeking something that is that is wrong. And yet he keeps it from us. So we're asking God to fill our needs day by day, day by day, that every single day, I feel that I am in need of him, that I trust him for my daily needs. We also are acknowledging here when we say, and forgive us our sins, we're acknowledging that we have a spiritual need, that there is a spiritual brokenness, that I am not only body, but I am also spirit. I am not just asking God for my physical needs, for my desires, but I want a spiritual reconciliation with God. I recognize that my union with God is the most important thing that I want to be in union with him. And so I also realize that I have chosen to rebel against him. I have chosen to sin. I've chosen to disobey. I've chosen to separate myself from him through the sins and, 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 and wrong desires that I have. And so I acknowledge this before God. I acknowledge my weaknesses. I admit that I am in need of his mercy. I admit that I am not deserving of his grace. I admit that his law is good and yet I have not followed it. Okay. So here we acknowledge that I personally, as I am praying this prayer, have fallen short of what God has called me to do and how God has called me to live. And I acknowledge that there is a separation between me and him. And that separation is completely because of me. That separation is because of my wrong choices. I am the one who has failed. I am the one who, has, who, 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 who is in need of forgiveness. Okay. So here, when we're asking God to forgive us our sins, we are acknowledging all those things. But in addition to this, we also acknowledge that God is indeed a forgiver, that, that God actually accepts my repentance. And so even as we are sorrowful and mourning for our sins, we are at the same time joyful because God does not hold these sins against us. Because we acknowledge that by asking him to forgive us, that God indeed does forgive. So this is actually a joyful prayer that we are praying here when we're asking God to forgive us our sins. This is a liberation because I do not have to live as a slave to sin. I do not have to live as a slave to my own weaknesses because even though I have weaknesses and failings and I will continue to have weaknesses and failings for the rest of my life, but I am joyful because God removes these sins from me and I'm reunited with God and, 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 and in communion with God. And every time God forgives me my sin, I draw closer and closer to him. 
So God is granting us this ultimate victory over death, which is the consequence of sin. I am no longer subject to this punishment. Death no longer has any power over me because God has removed all the consequences of sin through his forgiving us. And so we are always asking him daily, forgive us our sins. Draw us closer to yourself. Do not allow my weaknesses to separate me from you. And we are recognizing his goodness because he is the one who is not holding any kind of grudge against us or, or, or is angry with us, but instead he is granting us the forgiveness of our sins. Then we continue and we say, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Right, so, so the, the conditionality here when it comes to forgiveness has nothing to do with how bad our sins were, has nothing to do with there are certain kinds of sins that God will forgive and there are certain kinds of sins that he will not forgive. That is not the, the qualification for us to be forgiven. The qualification for us to be forgiven is that we also forgive others. I acknowledge my own weakness before God and I seek to be reconciled to him and I'm seeking from God that he would erase these sins, erase these wrongdoings that I have done against him. So also I'm telling God, I also will not hold any grudge. I will also not hold in my heart any hatred, that I also will forgive everyone who has harmed me is in any way. Anyone who has harmed me, I forgive them just as God, you have forgiven me. Okay, so we have this responsibility to forgive. And I acknowledge that not only am I a sinner, but that we as human beings, as mankind altogether, as a human race, we are all sinners and we all suffer from the same weakness. And so I, it is not within my right to hold a grudge against anyone because everything that anyone has ever committed against me, I also commit against God, right? We all chose to disobey God. And so I should not be so offended when other people have disappointed me, when other people have harmed me, when other people have said things that bother me or they have done things to hurt me. It doesn't mean that those things are not hurtful. They are indeed hurtful, right? But just as I'm seeking from God forgiveness, and I'm saying, God, even though I hurt you, even though I disobeyed you, even though I went against what you wanted and I didn't do according to what you wanted, so but yet you forgive me, so also when others do the same to me, then I also will forgive them as well, right? Just as God has, has forgiven me, loved me, tolerated me, and, and accepted me, so also I'm going to do to others. So it goes both ways here. And so we are in this prayer. Remember, these are the words that Christ called us to pray when the disciples told him, teach us to pray. This is what he told them. And so, so here Christ is making it so clear how important it is to God to see that we are forgiving one another and that we are not holding hatred in our heart toward each other. And then finally, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Here we are acknowledging the presence of the devil and we are acknowledging his work, his action, his temptation, that we have been deceived by him, that he is the source of evil, that evil is not impersonal, but, but evil is personal in the sense that what evil is not a concept that exists in the universe. No, evil is a, is a person who is the devil. He is the evil one, right? When we, when we pray this, we, say, we do not say deliver us from evil. We say deliver us from the evil one, the one who is evil through whom all evil comes. 
He is the source of evil in the world. And we are saying, I am not strong enough to stand against him. Right? I am not able to stand against him. He is more powerful than me. And he is my enemy. Just as he is the enemy of God, he is also my enemy. And we're asking God to keep us away from him. To, to help us to, to survive his attacks. To be victorious against him. And we're asking God to give, grant us alertness. To grant us uh, watchfulness to be vigilant, to keep fighting against him, to not give up when he continues to deceive us, when he con continues to fight against us, when his temptations seem relentless and that we feel that we have fallen so many times. And yet we're asking God here, do not lead us into this temptation. And, and this is done in persistence. The, the, the second half of the passage in the, in the gospel today was all speaking about persistence in prayer, that even though I might fall many times, I get up many times. That every time I fall into sin, that I confess my sin and I'm asking God to deliver me, deliver me from the evil one and, and asking God to protect us from him, right? I am not strong enough to stand against him. I cannot have a conversation with him and win, right? Just as Eve tried to do when she had a conversation with the devil. I cannot do this. I'm asking God to help me to flee temptation. That whenever I begin to feel temptation tugging at my heart, that I am wise enough to run away, not to feel that I'm strong enough to handle it, to withstand it, to overcome it. No, I am not strong enough. Help me to run away. Keep me away from sinful influences. Keep me away from circumstances that would cause me to fall. Keep me away from people that would cause me to fall and give me the strength and the fortitude to separate myself from anything that I can so that I do not fall into sin. So this is the model, okay, of prayer that Christ gave to his disciples, okay? And it's important for us to realize that these are not magic words. When Christ said, this is how you should pray, right? He didn't give them a magical incantation and say, when you pray this specific magical prayer, then this is somehow going to give you protection. No, these have all of the elements of prayer that God wants us to be praying and to always be aware of. And so even as I pray the Lord's Prayer, I should be praying it with understanding. I should be praying it with alertness that each one of these elements is vital and so important to my spiritual health that I'm what I recognize that God is my father in heaven. Who is it that I'm praying to? He's a person. Hallowed be your name. I'm seeing God as being uh, like above me. I'm revering him. I'm submitting to him and to his authority. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm seeking God's kingdom to be inside of my heart and on the earth. Give us day by day our daily bread. God is the source of all good things, and he is the one who provides them for me. And forgive us our sins. I want to be reconciled to God, and I want to admit my sins before him. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Okay. And then finally, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so may God grant us that we always pray this prayer with mindfulness and understanding, and to always be focusing on its meaning and how God wants us to, to live and to always remember that he is with us at all times and glory be to God forever. Amen.